How's it going, everybody? This is Dan Fagel here at Sentient Potential. I'm lucky enough to have Mr. Massimiliano Versace here with me. He's a, I got that right on the first try being an Italian. He is the CEO of Neurala, uh, which is a Boston-based uh, robotics company making some big moves as of late, and we're lucky enough to have him on the program. How's it going today, Max? Very well, thanks, and congratulations on pronouncing my name. Yes, hey, I know. My, uh, I, I probably say, I joke all the time, I probably about 7% of my school teachers had said my last name right on the first go. So, happens <laughs> Bajella, all the time. Bajella, yeah. So, uh, anywho, yeah, I want to talk a little bit first about the origins of Neural and kind of how your team initially formed. I know all startups have different stories. I know you, you kind of started out there at BU to an extent, but uh, I don't think I ever got the full spiel. So, I was curious as to how you guys formed it initially. Yeah, so we formed in 2006 out of Boston University. Uh, me, Anatoly, and Heather, we were all uh, PhD students at that time in this uh, very weird place called the Department of Cognitive and Neurosystem, which is uh, actually a department that has been uh, shut down and converged into another center called Continent right now. But uh, long story short, it was a, a unique center in the world where people uh, came from all over all over the place. You know, my friends were Russian, Indians, uh, a few Americans even. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the whole goal of the place was to design artificial brains. So you, you will uh, you will basically learn uh, uh, how the brain works and build mathematical models that emulate aspects of, of the brain functioning. And uh, a unique uh, feature of this uh, of this program was that the link between brain and behavior. So we never looked at the brain as something that was living in a vacuum, but as a, uh, a machine controlling a body uh, immersed in an environment in real time uh, for the purpose of, you know, having the environment survive or strive or, you know, adapt. Um, so Neurada was founded in 2006 uh, out of coincidence. We were taking a business class just for fun. And uh, uh, all of a sudden we realized that the stuff that we were doing uh, could have had commercial potential. Uh, so back in 2006, Norala started, um, and we did some projects uh, at the very beginning with a, a sniper detection for a, a, a night pack, a packbot robot, which was basically you know this iRobot, I uh, big, big, very sturdy robot that they send in Afghanistan and Iraq for uh, uh, helping soldiers not getting killed or, or hurt by uh, sniper fire or you know improvised uh, uh, explosive devices. And we did uh, uh, auditory uh, classification projects for for, for, this, uh, for this company. Um, back then, uh, the technology that was supporting our basic uh, the backbone of the system we were building, which were artificial brains, was at its infancy. So uh, at that time, we were one one of the first uh, group in the world to simulate neurons on a GPU or graphic processing units, which are you know, basically, basically, then were developed to help gamers play faster video games. Uh, at that time, they were expensive, clunky to use, and not very powerful, and uh, they were kind of a barrier to, you know, for our technology to become ubiquitous and, and useful. The other barrier were the cost of robots. So, building a robot uh, and you know, buying a robot was really not something that you can do every day you know, very, or very cheaply. So. Um, since since 2006, two things have changed uh, dramatically. The first thing is that uh, processing power has become uh, ubiquitous and cheap, and uh, in particular, parallel processing power. So multi-core CPUs, uh, so dual-core, quad-core, eight-core, 16-core, and so forth, 
have become very, very inexpensive and very low power. Moreover, graphic processing units, which are parallel processors, right? So if you're looking at the screen right now, chances are that you have a graphic processing unit helping to render the images on the screen. So it turns out that you can use the same exact technology to simulate neurons, uh, as opposed to uh, think of a pixel as a pixel, you can think of a pixel as a neuron. And uh, all of a sudden you have millions of neurons that you can you know, simulate on a graphic processing unit. Six years ago, they were expensive, not very powerful, power-hungry and clunky. Today, uh, you have a GPU most likely running on your phone or your tablet. So the cost of technology, the cost of processing, the portability of, of processing has become a non-issue today, today. So you can process a lot of stuff very uh, inexpensively in parallel. The other thing that has changed since 2006 is the cost of robots. Uh, today you can walk into Brookstone and buy a robot for you know $150 that a few years ago would have cost you $3,000. So robots are cheap. Uh, sensors, thanks to cell phone technology and uh, billions of devices sold, uh, has become really negligible. Computing power has also become really cheap. So all this, this convergence has made our company possible. And our company, Neurala, plans to provide the other missing block to make robots today ubiquitous and, uh, and really useful, which is the ability to have robots be intelligent off the shelf without having uh, robotic companies needing to, to reinvent the wheel of how to create uh, visual perception, navigation, uh, motor control in each and every robot. Uh, Neurala is building the platform that allows every robot to be smart uh, from the start. That's cool. Every robot to be smart from the start, that could be a little tagline. I don't know if you guys have one of those already. <laughs> yeah, but... we have one tagline, it's called Brains for Boss. Nice. Okay. Hey, well, that works. Yeah, I think I yeah. saw that on the main website, the video you guys yeah. have up there. Now, before I get in a, a second on, on some of these other questions about Neurala, um, I wanted to talk a, a little bit about sort of, um, you had mentioned your first work there was, do you say sniper detection? Yeah, so uh, um, sniper fire detection. So that we worked with another startup in Boston who was in turn working with iRobot to design a, an auditory, auditory classification system. And the basic idea was to classify in real time the nature of, uh, um, of a sound. So in this case, a robot is in a battlefield. Uh, and what we did is to train the robot to understand what was uh, you know, the sound, the difference between uh, a, a balloon popping or a door slamming or <laughs> AK-67 or whatever it's the yeah, yeah, yeah. of, and an M-16 and, and so forth. Yeah, I don't think I could tell the difference between a lot of those. But no, that's that's interesting. Yeah. And so your initial work there, because I think that's always uh, in the startup domain, I know the first big client's kind of a big deal, right? So yeah. your guys' first work, I mean, you, you weren't sending out direct mail to these guys. You just knew some other people that were in the startup space or working on a similar project with iRobot. You said, hey, we might have technology that can kind of plug in. Was that your first in there business-wise? Yeah, so uh, it was actually funny. We, we connected with this, uh, the CEO of this other company, which I don't even know if he's still around nowadays. It was another spin-off from Boston University, and uh, he had a project with the Army in collaboration with iRobot. And, uh, you know, he was just uh, uh, basically our colleague. He was a postdoc at Boston University, and uh, he said, ah, oh, what you guys are doing is really interesting. I, I have this project with the Army. I can, I can subcontract part of this project to you if you can help me. You know, uh, he was doing the auditory 
localization part uh, of the effort. So if you basically, if you, if you look straight at the screen and you clap your hand on one side or you clap your hand on the other side, the sound will, will arrive to each one of your ears. You know, one ear, the closest ear will arrive a fraction of a second earlier than the other yeah. ear. And that will allow you to understand where is the sound coming from in space. So he was doing that part of the work and we were doing the part of this is a clap or it's you know, uh, finger snap okay. or it's, it's, a, it's a sniper fire and if so, what kind of machine gun it is and so forth. Uh, understood. Okay, cool. So, so there was somebody else literally from BU as well who was in on a big project. You said, hey, let us get involved in this too and that's how you got your first foot in the door business-wise? Precisely. Cool. And you had mentioned there was another BU startup. I know a lot of startups kind of start from universities, research groups. From the way you explained it, it was almost, again, accidental. You're in yes. a business class. You're like, hey, what if we could sell it? Uh, that's a very kind of an interesting story. So you, nobody on your team, or at least it doesn't sound like it, initially went out, hey, we're going to build you know, uh, a robot company. You guys just took a class and it kind of happened accidentally. I know every startup's got a different story about how teams come together um, what was important for you guys in terms of cohesion, in terms of working together as a group, getting everybody on board in the same goal? Um, what yeah. made that very sort of uh, out of nowhere transition to business work for you? The, the common goal was the, the passion, is, the passion for the overarching goal that we are pursuing. So everybody in Urala has a, a passion or love for brains. We love artificial brains. We believe that building artificial brains not only is fun and uh, you know it's a source of income, but it's also a, a, a major stepping stone in how our society will change in the future. So you know today our society is what it is, but if you close your eyes and envision what the next uh, 10, 20 years uh, are you know are, are reserving for for us. Um, one of the one of the vision that that uh, Neurala, Neurala people have is that we are going to be surrounded by sentient uh, machines, by machines that are not going to be passively driven by humans, each one of them, but they're going to be increasingly autonomous, and this will be ubiquitous. Uh, and kind of you know, if you think of machine when you close your eyes, don't think of you know the Star Wars robots only. So that's one instantiation, and uh, uh, it's by far probably the, the one that is the least useful. Machines that would be increasingly autonomous and smart are things that nowadays uh, we use constantly, which are cars, uh, airplanes, um, vacuum cleaner, uh, fridges, televisions, and so yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. So all of those devices will have increasing amount of intelligence, autonomy, and they, can, and they will be able to think and understand about their environment much more than uh, than you know we can we can imagine today. Uh, this is already happening with cars. So if today you go to your you know to a car dealer, uh, I just got a new leased car by the way uh, mm -hmm. a month ago. Okay, so I start to drive this car and it has all this stuff coming up from the from the the, the, the panel. It says well there is a car on your left, a car on your right, something is sensing in front. Guess what? All that technology, the technology that is now in uh, cars that you can buy in a normal sedan, uh, is coming from the robotic industry. So all those sensors, the proximity sensors that sense cars as uh, as you're driving in the highway, the sensors that allow your car to stop before uh, hitting another car, 
uh, or to drive in a, in a lane without you know, causing accident or the Google car. All those technologies are coming straight from the robotic industry. But that is just the beginning. Uh, the, all these assisted driving, driving uh, driver assistant uh, technology will slowly turn into autonomous drive. Right? So that would be the next logical step in which there would be autonomy uh, taking over uh, basically all the functions of a driver so that you can just sit in the car and uh, tell the car to go to a particular place in, uh, you know, in the city. Uh, the same thing will hold for airplanes. So even today, you know, the landing and takeoff are the, basically the, almost the only task for, for, um, for, uh, uh, for pilots. But envision a future in which not only commercial airplanes, but many, many more airplanes would be, um, will, will be will have the ability to fly and to avoid uh, collisions, for instance, with uh, you know uh, either static ob obstacles or other dynamic obstacles, such as airplanes, uh, completely autonomous. So all these things will transform the way uh, in which in which we will uh, you know live uh, our life in the future. Wow. Okay. So yeah, move a uh, movement towards autonomy, and I think um, the conversation right now about uh, technology being sentient is certainly not a commonplace conversation as of present. But I, I believe that that transition is coming quicker than most people assume, and that it's important to handle those issues early. Um, I'm, I'm going to be delving a little bit more into that future technology and some of your predictions of societal and business change. In terms of just a little bit more on your your kind of coming together as a company, what a I mean, obviously there's so many other companies that are young startups that get together at universities. What would be some other advice? Obviously, that common goal sounds like a pretty big imperative. You know, we all have to be on the same page about where the vision is. What other advice would you give to a younger startup that's you know they they meet together at a university, maybe they have similar business skills or whatever. They say, hey, here's an objective, here's the goal. What are the the lessons or the bits of insight that those guys have to understand from your experience in order to be able to move a, make a transition forward and be successful? Well, I think that the most uh, important advice is to uh, quickly talk with the uh, customer you believe you will be selling to as soon as you can. Um, that's the biggest advice that I can, I can give you because there is nothing better than actually doing a reality check with the, the companies or the, the, you know, the, the customers that you think you will be serving. Uh, in order to quickly shape the, the development of, of your technology. And that will, uh, that will probably be the, the best thing you can do in order to avoid the common pitfall of uh, uh, high-tech uh, startups, which basically start, like our company, with a, a, a huge interest or a huge uh, passion into a technology, and then you know, trying to find uh, a, a fit for that technology in the product. So as soon as you can do that uh, fit, uh, experiment. So go out there and talk to somebody and understand what what is actually the pain, uh, or if you're actually solving one of the an actual pain that they are having. And you know, looking at your grandiose technology roadmap, uh, what is the lowest hanging fruit that you can actually take uh, out of the tree and, and provide to the customer right away, uh, and kind of you know guide the sequencing of your technology so that you can provide solutions quicker without developing a lot of stuff very early without knowing whether this stuff would be useful at all to, to the end customer. So go out there and talk. Got it. Okay, cool. And uh, back to a little bit to the technology, I know what, what uh, you had mentioned what you guys are doing is pretty unique in terms of um, 
the actual construction of a brain. I know there's a lot of people working on kind of brain replication to an extent. The Blue Brain Project has been yep. working on some stuff for a while. Um, Obama's got some brain project together. The EU's yep. been doing something like that. Um, what is uh, what is sort of the, the really unique approach about the way that you guys are going about it in terms of uh, differentiating or the application thereof, just out of my curiosity? Yeah, so as you said, there is a, there are a ton of initiatives out there, uh, mostly coming from uh, governmental yes, efforts. very much. So, for instance, you cite the Blue Brain Project, uh, or the now that, that is is being transformed into a, uh, the Human Brain Project. Okay. Uh, you know, Harry Markram is leading. Actually, I know him personally, great scientist. Uh, other initiatives uh, that are coming, for instance, from Obama and, and so forth. So, um, the main difference between Neurala and this initiative, first of all, is that Neural is much smaller than this initiative, so we don't have one billion dollar in ten years as the human brain <laughs> yeah, project, yeah, yeah. so that's one difference. Uh, that's also a luxury also, right? So we don't have a ton of money, so we use our money really, really, really carefully and for things that are really going to, or that we think are really going to be in commercial application tomorrow, I so know. that Dan can go at, uh, you know, at Brookstone and buy it and have it in his, in his, in his desk Got tomorrow morning. Okay, so uh, at the end of the day, the biggest difference is that we are taking a ton of research uh, that we have done, in, and you know, mostly we have done, but also other people uh, have done uh, in, in the past 10 years, and reducing it to the most smallest common uh, set of code that we can actually run on a commodity uh, processor and deploy in an application that makes sense for a robot today. So we are really looking into, uh, you know, not dwelling too much in, in uh, you know, replicating every single aspect of the brain cell, because our goal is not to, uh, you know, publish the next scientific paper, but is to build a system that actually works in a robot uh, and can and can do intelligent things uh, in in a, in, a, in a robot that you can buy today for just a few hundred dollars. So we're really trying to narrow down and funnel this technology so it becomes really Cool. Yeah. Again, a, a more immediate application rather than a, you know, a bajillion scientists and a billion dollars over the course of ten years or whatever. There. Yeah. Um, and in terms of application, I know what, what uh, you guys have done over there at Neural thus far. You've worked, if I'm not mistaken, with NASA a bit. In addition to um, the, uh, obviously, you're working with defense in terms of the sniper detection and things along those lines. Um, do you, Do you guys see, in in some respects, obviously the applications are endless. Um, do you have kind of a honed emphasis in those areas? Or are you really very open about the application and opportunities of, of Neurala's work? Yeah, so we're looking at, uh, uh, so our goal is to become a platform for all uh, robots out there. Uh, so having said that, you always have to start with, a, with a, an initial pitch ad. Uh, so we have been uh, uh, looking at companies in a few spaces. The, the first space is telepresence or remote presence robots. Um, so remote presence robots are uh, a category of robots that allow people to be in a certain place uh, by basically beaming yourself or Skyping yourself into a robot. So the difference between a Skype session and the, and the remote presence robot is that Skype, you are there, you can already move. Uh, remote presence is basically imagining this as Skype on wheels so that you can basically be in, a, in your factory or you know in, in, a, oh. in the house. Your grandparents can visit your you know, their grandchildren by moving around the robot in the house and, you know, without you having to carry the, the, the Skype phone uh, around. So yeah. that's one application. 
Uh, other applications are similar in the domain of uh, more commercially oriented uh, or consumer oriented products. So today, if you go and buy, you know, if you go and take a walk at Brookstone, uh, you can find probably 10 to 20 different robots that you can use. You can buy for you know just a hundred, few hundred dollars at Brookstone. Uh, these robots allow you to, for instance, to do remote presence as well, or to you know fly a, a, an helicopter uh, again from from distance. And, uh, and basically, you know, uh, mostly for entertainment purposes. So that's the second that's the second set of applications. So all, all of these robots have very very similar needs, uh, in the sense that they all have the need to map their environment, recognize the people that they interact with, and take command from the human user. Say, you know, go to this room in the in the house, or you know, find me find me Dan and follow Dan and so forth. So yeah. we're using that the, we are building the technology that allow allow these robots to to execute this command, uh, allowing the human user to, you know, lift his hand, just give a, give a command to the robot, and the robot will do this command by itself. And uh, by doing so, you kind of shift uh, the game, all of a sudden, there is not anymore one human and one robot, where I control each and every single movement of the, of the robot, but I have a fleet of robots, potentially very, very large, that can all do tasks on my command, where while I just sit and do other things. Uh, and this is a huge application, if you think, yeah, uh, sure. just for a second, in so many sectors. Uh, uh, one of the sectors we are looking at is agriculture, where you know you have um, uh, you know the, the, the ability to substitute very expensive flight to monitor crops with what, you know, just inexpensive UAVs that can fly around on command from the human user and detect you know, dry spots in your crops uh, and so forth. Uh, surveillance is another sector uh, uh, application to, to commercial, uh, in particular to um, uh, store storefront robots that can assist the buyers to, to buy specific items, uh, for instance, in grocery stores or or large large commercial spaces and so forth. Awesome. Well, um, and that was going to be one of the last topics I sort of delved in a little bit was obviously that the applications are really limitless and. I like it. you guys have an emphasis on embodiment with your intelligent machines. I was speaking with Ben Gertzel a number of weeks back, and he had kind of mentioned uh, Ben Gertzel is an artificial general intelligence research fellow, um, and, and he's really very much along the along that path of not seeing the brain and and the movement and interaction, reading of the environment as two separate things. We're really seeing that as an important relationship. Um, that by itself, I mean, man, I could think of a million things there too. I think agriculture is great. I mean, there's so many there's so many jobs, warehouse. You know, unloading, loading things that if you could have a fleet and they could they could do it. I mean, it would be plug and play. Um, in terms of more immediate transitions in the coming years, twenty years down the line, good gracious. I mean, uh, you know, we all better be prepared. Um, but uh, there's a joke we have here at Sentient Potential. We say uh, we see like a really scary application of artificial intelligence or robotics in in uh, whether it's a YouTube video or just some new research. We're like, oh, watch out for the robots, man. Watch out for the robots. So obviously the future is going to get, you know, we're going to want to be prepared for that. In the coming maybe, you know, three, five years, um, what do you see are going to be the most important transitions and applications of robotics that are going to change society? Obviously some people have, um, you know, I think a lot of people that make predictions often aren't people actually in the robotics domain. You're in here building stuff. Where do you see the next few years taking us in terms of application most uh, succinctly? Yeah, um, so very quickly, um, people will go to work less with stay in their home and beam to work more often. So I like you, that. You, yeah, 
you will be able to stay at home more often and uh, you know be in a in a meeting or in a remote location in your warehouse more often. So they will change the pattern of travel, for instance, for, for people, make it make it more efficient to you know every single hour of your day uh, spend less time moving around and more time working. Um, other things would be. Uh, substituting humans in dull jobs or jobs that are repetitive, tiring, dangerous, and so forth. So, for instance, moving pots around uh, a greenhouse uh, or moving boxes around a warehouse. Uh, m most of these tasks would be, uh, you know, offloaded to, to robots, and uh, um, this will change the the perception, uh, or you know, actually the, the physical work that people will execute in jobs such as warehouses where, uh, you know, as opposed to be a very tiring job or a very dirty job that sometimes you have to do just picking up boxes and putting them uh, away, you will be transformed basically uh, when you apply for a job in a warehouse, in a warehouse that has robots, you would be more like a manager of robots rather mm -hmm. than picking up boxes and deploying these boxes away. So that also will change the way people will work and will actually change also the perception of certain jobs. That are going to be seen more, you know, like you know, as opposed to getting your hands dirty. Is wow! Now I hang out with a bunch of robots, so I'm I'm a robot manager. I'm not <laughs> anymore shifting boxes left left and forth. Um, and the other thing, you know, other things will change in, in not job wise, but you know, ways in which we can communicate with other people uh, or stay in touch with other people. Um, for instance, you know, my parents live in Italy and they want to visit the. Check, check my kids, and uh, you know, as opposed to having to travel all the time, they will be able to to beam in and uh, and interact with them more often. So they will change the way in which people stay in touch by you know again by reducing the amount of travel or increasing the frequency of socialization uh, thanks thanks to remote presence robots. Wow, um, and and you see those applications literally in the coming three to five years in terms of that. Well, some of these applications are already happening. Of course, there are some barriers to the adoption. Why today these, these robots are not everywhere is why why Neural exists. Yeah, yeah. Because these robots are difficult to use. Uh, you know, remote control in each one of these robots makes it completely useless in terms of multiplying your 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 workforce. For instance, you know, if I have to control a robot that lifts a box, I might just lift the box yeah, by myself. Why don't you, yeah. So in order to have 20 robots work for you to lift. 20 boxes, you, you need autonomy for them, and you know until this autonomy layer is provided, then the robots will have only a limited impact. Okay, cool. And lastly, I know we're just about uh, shy of time here. Um, in terms of Neurala's future work, is there any cool projects, initiatives, um, maybe other things people should go look up if they're interested in following what you guys are doing now with social media and otherwise? Yes, so is working. We are, we are working on uh, uh, releasing our first uh, uh, robot controller by uh, the end of October 2013. So be on the look for that. Uh, I cannot say much, but we are looking to yeah, be deployed in, in a commercially available product by the end of the year. Um, hopefully, you can uh, see some of this cool technology we are preparing for NASA back to Earth. So uh, be, be on the look for you know the, the end of this year for some very cool technology from the router. Awesome. And folks that want to follow you guys, do you have uh, any particular social media channels that you have up or just your main website there? Our, yeah, we keep our main website updated where you can also find our uh, tweet feeds. 
Awesome, cool. Okay, I'll make note on that then. Other than that, um, Max, I think we're right about on time. I seriously appreciate you taking the time. If anything comes up in the future, um, whether it's you know some cool news or when you guys actually do release it, I know there's certain things you guys want to kind of keep on keep on wraps, um, and you want to be able to get things around. Um, really consider me press anything that's cool, exciting. You want me to blast around? I'd be more than happy to. I follow your guys' stuff, and I appreciate your time today. Cool. Thank you, Dan. Cool, my man. Yep. Catch you later. Hey, thanks for tuning in, guys. If you're an entrepreneur or a future thinker uh, with an interest in businesses, transitions, or technologies that have the potential to alter human potential, then make sure you check out techemergence.com. It's our main blog site where you can see all of our other interviews with uh, top startup leaders, uh, entrepreneurship experts, and folks in the domain of technology, cutting-edge emerging technology. Uh, if you have a particular interest in how technology can affect the future of human consciousness and our conscious experience, and be sure to also check out sentientpotential.com. There we explore a lot of the ethical considerations and really serious moral matters of emerging technologies, in addition to interviews with great philosophers and technology experts of our day. Uh, more than anything else, always feel free to reach out if you can find us via email. Um, you can reach out to us there or whatever other way. Find us on the blog. Be sure to drop comments. We believe that the serious uh, conversation about the future is not only open-minded, but also interdisciplinary and multifaceted. So we'd like nothing more than to be able to glean your ideas as well. Um, so with that being said, with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Fagella signing off. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>